So I want to begin today on your outline just to, to highlight a couple of things as, as we begin. You'll remember that last week when we were talking about this and we talked about why is creation so important. And Paul the Apostle, as he was writing to the church in Rome, he said this there in your outline. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And uh, you remember last week we talked about God says, I made it so abundantly clear that this could not have come into existence by accident. Uh, only, a, only an all-powerful God could make all of this happen, that they are literally without excuse if they miss it. Uh, one commentator said that our attitude towards uh, our attitude towards creation is ultimately what judges us, and that's certainly uh, at least partially true. But uh, God's God says that you don't want to miss that it's all created by a creator. It didn't come into existence by accident. And when you think of it, you know, you and I live in a society where, as we look back over history. We, we think that those civilizations were somewhat naive as they, they worshiped stars and the sun and moon and animals and things like that. We thought that they were naive, but our generation worships random chance. And uh, God says, you don't want to miss the, that he's the creator. So why is the creation so important to us today? Well, again, something that we covered a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was asked a question about in this case about marriage and his response there in your outline, he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus is both the, the creator and he is a creationist. He, he, he believed in creation. But Jesus said, if you want to know the answer, all you have to do is look back to the beginning and see how God created it, and that, that would be your answer. So I want you to write this down there in your outline. Jesus believed the creation story was literally true, and uh, also that it holds the answers for life's tough questions. All you have to do is go back and, and uh, look at it. So creation gives us God's design. And what we're going to find is that because creation is literally true, and it gives us God's design, we're going to find that it's going to be one of the things that Satan will try to attack the most, anything that he can do to distort the design. So this week, we're going to jump in. We're going to pick it up. We're going to go all the way through. And uh, let me say that this is one of those weeks where the big question is, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? Because there's so much. It's, it's common when people teach through Genesis to take several weeks to go through Genesis 1. We're going to do it in one week, and, uh, but we'll be unpacking all of this as we go. So we're going to pick it up in Genesis 1, verse 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the starting point of all that we're going to talk about today, and you want to write this down, is that creation begins with the Trinity. You want to write that down. Creation begins with the Trinity. There on your outline, I put Genesis 1-1, and it says, in the beginning, God, and that word for God there is Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Now, El is the Hebrew word for God. But whenever they wanted something to be plural, they put an im on the, the back of the word. So like in our language, typically when we want something to be plural, we put an S 
on the end of the word. So you have dog, you add an S, and all of a sudden it's dogs. They had L, and then they added im on the end, and it's in the plural. So there on your outline, I put the definition from Strong's, and it says God or Elohim means gods in the ordinary sense, but specifically used of the supreme God. Does everybody see that? So here you have the Trinity. We would say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And anytime you see the word God in this chapter, it's going to be Elohim. It refers to the three in one, which is interesting because if you ever go to a, a Jewish service, you go to a synagogue or you go to a Jewish holiday, they always begin their service with what's called the Shema. Now, the Shema, uh, when you hear it in English, it, you go, Okay, and, but that's in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, but there's a whole lot going on. I put that there in your outline. In English, we'd say, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you go, okay, but when you look at the Hebrew, all of a sudden it begins to make a whole lot more sense. And it says, hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our Elohim, which is God's in the plural. And it says, but Yahweh is one, Yahweh is one. Everybody see that? So it's a reference there to the Trinity. There's three in one, but there's one Godhead, we would say. So all three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are going to be involved in the creation. So last week, and I put the reference there, John chapter one, it talks about Jesus and it says, he's the creator of all things and nothing came into existence that he didn't bring into existence. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will all be involved in the creation. And that'll be all through this. So uh, the starting point, again, I'm gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read the first five. By the way, did you find that at least interesting? Good, good. All right, so the first day of creation, and you gotta write this down, is going to be Sunday. Creation starts on Sunday. So I'm going to read the first five verses, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Elohim, so we'd know that it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, you want to underline the word waters. We want to talk about that. Then God said, underline God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, or that the light was good, and you want to underline good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was, and you want to underline this, evening, and there was morning, one day. So uh, as we get into this, the first thing we want to notice is that in verse 5, it talks about morning and evening. And so that's going to imply, and you want to write this down, a 24-hour day, 24-hour day. Some people see a, a gap between verse one and verse two. So they'll look on, they'll say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then they will say that there's a huge gap of time between verse one and verse two. And then they say, could be billions of years. And then it says, and then God started with the earth. How many of you have ever heard of what's called the gap theory? Okay, so I don't embrace the gap theory. Some of the people that I respect most in, in church and theology, they do. Um, but I do not uh, embrace that there's a gap between those, those two verses. And the reason being, whenever you, whenever you interpret Scripture, always remember that the Bible interprets the Bible. So the first thing you want to ask when you come to a question like that is what does the rest of the Bible say? So when you go to Exodus chapter 20, I put this there in your outline, 
It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, that would be verse one, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The, the rest of the Bible always talks about creation, all verse one, all the, all the way through the whole chapter as being in 24 hour days and in one week. Now, most of you didn't care about the gap theory, but I feel better. So we're, we're gonna go with that. So, so the next thing that we want to notice, and, and um, in verse 2, it's going to say, the earth was formless and void, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, Spirit of Elohim, was moving over the surface of the waters, and the underlying water, then God said. So the, because God is conveying some things here, you want to write down, God's Spirit was moving, but nothing happened until God spoke. Nothing happens until God speaks. There in your outline it says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And what we're gonna find here is that in this chapter, God said, God speaking, will be emphasized 10 times, 10 times. So it's gonna be a theme in this chapter. And I put the verses there, and you'll see like verse three, and then verse three, because it says it two times in that verse. But if, if I don't highlight it, you, wanna, you just want, as we go through, highlight that God said. That's very important. Creation, creation came because of spoken words. You want to write that down. Came because of spoken word. We would say God's word. Now, what's important here is that the presence of God's spirit didn't change anything, did not change the situation. But when God began to speak, that's when everything began to change. And that's there as a lesson for us. Man will be created in the image of God. And so what we're going to find is that throughout Genesis and throughout the Bible, there's going to be an emphasis on the words that we speak and what happens when we begin to speak, especially when we begin to speak God's word. And it's one of the things that many of us come from a church background where we never talked about this. But there in your outline, when we talk about the power of words that come from us, there in your outline in Isaiah, God will say, I create the fruit of of the lips. Does everybody see that? I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. So the idea is that when you and I speak, it, it has a creative power to it. Many of us uh, got married because of words that we spoke. Many of us got divorced because of words that we spoke. <laughs> Those words go out and they begin to do something. So we're gonna talk about that all through Genesis. Now in the New Testament, Jesus will say it like this, speaking to his disciples. He says, have faith in God. Now if you have a literal translation, it says literally, have the faith of God. Well, how does God have, what's the faith of God? He goes on and he says, truly I say to you, whoever, what's that word? Says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he, what's that word? Says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. The emphasis here is on the spoken word, speaking to. Most of us come from a church background where we read this and we say it's talking about praying about. Well, no, it's talking about speaking to. That's why Jesus will say things like, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, you'd say to that mulberry bush, and it's speaking to. So we're gonna talk about that as we go. 
And we're going to notice that in the creation, God does not speak his circumstances. He doesn't say as everything begins, it's dark, it's really dark. He begins to speak what he wants. In the New Testament, Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples, and you know the story. He goes to sleep in the back of the boat. Big storm comes, waves, and what do the disciples do? They begin to speak their circumstances. And as they speak their circumstances, they wake up Jesus and they go, big waves, big storm, perishing, going under. Jesus gets up, does not speak his circumstances. He speaks to, and he says, be calm, be still. And so we're going to notice that as we go. So uh, one of the things we'll notice that Jesus will say there in your outline, in John, he'll say, I say only what the Father has taught me. Jesus was very guarded about the words that he let come out of his mouth. So when you and I get to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to encounter a man. We know him as Abram, Abraham. And God comes to Abram and gives God this, uh, God gives Abram this amazing promise. And Abram has the promise for 25 years, and nothing happens, nothing happens, until Abram, we'll know him as Abraham, begins to say what God says about his situation. He begins to change his speaking, and even though the situation was impossible, when he changed his speaking, everything changed, and and it became, it, it happened. It happened just as God said. Now, It's common in church world to teach that, and they'll see that Abram had the promise for 25 years, and they will say, you know, you can have a promise for 25 years, and even if it doesn't come true, you hold on. Well, a better way to look at that, and we'll look at that, is that you can have the promise for 25 years, but until you change your speaking, nothing is going to happen. So we'll talk about that when we get there. So Remember, he says he creates the fruit of lips. Now, in the book of James, um, you're familiar with this. James says that your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. And he says that ship, even if it has strong currents going against it and it has strong winds going against it, wherever you set that rudder, that's the direction that's going to go. What James is saying there is that you can have bad situations, strong winds, strong current, but when you change your speaking, your life will go in that direction. And so we'll be talking about that when we get there. So we're gonna discover that being created in the image of God, there's something there that God wants to do. So we also see here in, uh, in this little day one thing that... Um, he created light. He didn't create the sun. The sun's not going to be created for several verses. So what we see is that God's word is so powerful, he doesn't have to create the sun. He just says, let there be light. And there was. And we'll see why that's so important as we go. So we are unique in the creation. So that's the first thing that he wants to say. Then verse four, he says, and God saw that the light was good. And what we're going to find is that in this chapter, the creation will be declared good seven times, seven times. That's going to be a theme. And um, what we also notice is that in creation, and you want to write this down, the earth is created before the sun. The earth is created before the sun. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, going to be very different than evolution. Evolution holds that the earth was spit out of the sun, 
And, uh, but God says, no, you're not gonna attach me to that theory, so I'm gonna attach, I'm gonna create the earth before the sun. We'll see the sun in about verse 14. And uh, we're also going to find that the earth is covered with water as God begins to create. So we underline the word earth. I mean, we underline the word water. Is everybody, did, did you do that? Now, that's important because evolution teaches that as the earth was spit out of the sun, it was a molten mass. And God says, no, I'm starting with the earth covered with water. That's, that's my starting point, so we can't attach the two. Well, that's day one. So far, so good? All right, well, day two. Now, day two is Monday, and there is a theological point here that I think you're going to appreciate greatly. So um, pay attention. Verse six, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let, let it separate the water, waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Huge theological point. Every day... as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that God will continue to say, it was good, it was good, it was good. But this is Monday. And what we notice, you wanna write this down, concerning Monday, God does not say, it is good. So here's the conclusion. Finally, a God who relates to you. Can I get an amen? When he's changing the waters into the expanse, some would suggest that he's creating a greenhouse. Uh, That might be possible. There's some challenges with that. Uh, What we do see is God is moving some things around. So day three is going to be Tuesday. We're gonna pick it up in verse nine. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. I've underlined that. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees and the earth bearing fruit. Now you wanna pay attention to this, underline, after their kind and then with the seed in them, the seed is in them. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with the seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Well, there on your outline, we notice it says trees bearing fruit with the seed in them. Now what that means, and you wanna write this down, is that seed in them implies that everything was created mature. Uh, He's creating mature trees, and they already have the seed in them. They're ready to begin reproducing. When we see man being created, he's not creating man as a baby. He's creating man as as a mature person. And so that'll be important as we go. But then we also saw, it talks about reproducing after their kind or after its kind. And that will be emphasized in this chapter 10 times, 10 times. And I, I put the verses there in case I miss it as we go. There in your outline, it says DNA enforces after its kind, after its own kind. Evolution will hold that things reproduce after their own kind until a certain point, and then they reproduce another kind. 
God says, no, the way that I've set it up, especially through DNA, is it will only reproduce after its own kind. And so evolutionists will hold that because there is a similarity in our design that we must have a common ancestor. So evolutionists would say because, like you look at man and you say you have two arms and you have fingers and you have two eyes and two legs and five toes and five fingers, they would say we must have a common ancestor. So they would look at the apes and they would say, apes have two arms and they have five fingers and toes. And so they would say, therefore, because we are similar to them, we must have a common ancestor. So, but we would hold as creationists that similarity in our design, because we are similar in design, doesn't imply a common ancestor, it implies a common designer. We have the same designer, but we don't have the same ancestor. Does that make sense? So why is it in this chapter will the after its kind be emphasized so much? Well, uh, we're going to find that, that the way that God set it up is that things always reproduce after their own kind. And it will be emphasized after its own kind because we're not supposed to mess with after its own kind. So when we come to Genesis chapter 6, uh, we're, we're going to find that they were altering the DNA. They were mixing that which was created in the image of God with other things that were not created in the image of God. And uh, when they do that, it's going to cause all kinds of trouble. When we get to Genesis chapter 6, we're going to talk about the things that they never told you in Sunday school. And uh, I don't know whether to say, hey, bring your friends or watch from home. <laughs> you know, it's, but it's going to be very, very interesting when we get there. But Jesus would tell us, Jesus would tell us as it relates to Genesis chapter 6, and we'll look at this when we get there, he will say that what was going on in Genesis chapter 6 will be taking place in the last generation, that they will be altering the DNA and mixing that with, with, with other, other things. So I'm just going to read the headline of one article. You can get 25,000 articles. Uh, one article just says, British scientists have secretly created more than 150 human-animal hybrids. What they are doing in laboratories, and this is the only generation, Jesus said that would be the last generation, they are taking that which is created in the image of God, and they are mixing it with something that is not created in the image of God. And so he emphasized after its kind, after its kind, after its kind. So uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. Well, day four is going to be Wednesday. We're going to pick that up in verse 14. And it says, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs. Now, I want you to underline that word signs. We want to talk about that. And for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, this is going to be the sun and the moon, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also, underline stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. I've underlined that word placed. God placed them. 
isn't it interesting that the moon is at the exact distance from the earth that it needs to be so that life can be sustained on this planet? You see, if, if the moon were any closer, you would have a multiplied effect of gravity. So you wouldn't have daily tidal changes, you'd have daily tidal waves that would cover continents and make all life on the planet, uh, you know, it, it would cease to exist. But if the moon were just a little bit further away from the earth, then you wouldn't have enough gravitational effect and there'd be no tidal changes and so that would make life on the earth impossible. It wouldn't happen. If the sun were just a little bit closer to the earth, uh, even if it raised the earth's average temperature, let's just say 30 degrees, it would make life on the earth impossible. But if it was just a little bit further away, then uh, we would be a frozen wasteland. Isn't it interesting that evolution, without any outside information, just knew to put the sun and the moon at just the right place in order for life to exist on this planet? Well, God says, if you believe that, uh, you know, he says, I've, I've, I've done it in such a way that you can conclude that there's no way that it just happened by chance. And so anybody who does, he says, they are without excuse. So he's made it very clear. So verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, again, 24 hours, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. So it's interesting to me, we, we looked a few minutes ago, and we saw that God created the earth before he created the sun. We also see here that God created the earth before he created the stars. And so we're going to see how important, how central the earth, not that the earth is the center of the universe, but it's central to what God is doing. But then it says that the, the lights, the stars, they were all given as signs, and uh, that word signs, I put there in your outline, is the word auth, and it means a signal, a flag, a beacon, an omen, or evidence, and you can translate it either way. The constellations that we see in the sky at night, we've been taught that that comes from mythology, and, uh, but it could be that it comes from something much deeper. The Hebrews have what they call the Matzeroth, the Matzeroth, and You'll recall two weeks ago when we went through Genesis chapter 5, you have the genealogy and those words in their order, they laid out the gospel. And uh, so do you remember that? We did that a couple weeks ago. When you look at the constellations, uh, you can look at the constellations and see that it actually lays out the gospel, but we haven't been taught that. So you have Virgo, which is the virgin, and then you look at some of the stars, and one of the stars is that she is with child. Uh, you have the Leo, which is a lion. Uh, the others would say Leo, the, the lion, but we would say the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so there's a lot that you can look at. It could actually be, when you look at it, it really does lay out the gospel. Now, there's a couple of resources that you can track down. One's by Joseph Seiss. And uh, he wrote this book in 1882, and it's called The Gospel in the Stars. It's a lot of information. If you're an insomniac, this will cure it. But 
I don't know that you need to track down all of it, but it would be good to be aware. So there is there on your outline, Chuck Missler did a great video. It's on YouTube. You just type in Chuck Missler on signs and the heavens and the Hebrew Matzeroth and the stars, and it'll give you enough information that you'll look at that and you'll go, that's really interesting. There's more to it. Well, day five is Thursday. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. And God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. So he, he filled the oceans. Uh, and let the birds fly above the earth and the open expanse of the heavens. And God created, now my translation says the great sea monsters. How many of your Bibles say the great sea monsters? Yeah, that is a horrible translation of that word. Um, if you have the NIV, it'll say something like the great creatures. How many of your Bibles says something like that? That's better. Actually, the old King James captures what's really taking place, and I put that there on uh, your outline, and it says, see, where am I? And God created the great whales. Does everybody see that? So that's a much better, it's, it just means big things in the ocean is what it, what it means. And so you can translate it a number of different ways. So verse 21, God created the great, and I'm going to go with whales, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind, again, emphasis after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Morning and evening, a fifth day. And what you notice there in that, that day, um, it's going to be God says. God says. God is speaking, and it's good what he's creating. And uh, he says that they need to reproduce after their own kind. There's going to be that emphasis. Then we come to day six. Now, in day six, it's going to say in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things. The word creeping things can also be translated as reptiles, but we'll go with creeping things. And, and um, creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. I've underlined it was good. But then you come to the final creation, and uh, that's important. This is going to be the final creation, the, the apex, we might say. Verse 26, and it says, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So I, I put that verse there in your outline, and it says, and God said, and the word there is Elohim. Does everybody see that? So you have the plurality, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Elohim says, let us, all three of us, make man in our image according to our likeness. So let me read that verse again in your Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And, and God says, I want you to have dominion. I want, you to have, I want you to be over. And so some of your Bibles will say dominion, some of your Bibles will say be over. Verse 27, it goes on, back to the design, and he says, and God created man, Elohim, 
created man in his own image. In the image of God, Elohim, he created him. Then you want to underline male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You, you notice that it says he created them male and female in his image. The male and the female together create a more complete image of God. So Cheryl and I, um, together for our children, we create a more complete image of who God is. Uh, guys, sometimes we can be a little tough, a little harsh. Something happens and you tell your kids, you're like, just suck it up, right? Am I the only one? So, but your, your wife is like, oh, no, no. They, it's, it's, it's much more sympathizing and, and all that. Stories that I could tell you where I'm not going to, but, but uh, had it not been for Cheryl, they'd be dead, basically. So, but together we create uh, a more complete picture, image of who God is. And he designed it that way. So here's what this means. A man and man together is not the image of God. That is a distortion. Uh, a woman and a woman together is not the image of God. It's a distortion. We're going to find that a man and a woman and a woman and a woman is not the image of God. That will be a distortion, and we'll talk about that in a few chapters. The world says that's intolerant, that's hate. Jesus says, no, that's the design of the creation. You look back to the design of the creation. Does that make sense? So a man and woman come together in the creation to create a more complete picture of the image of God. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but let's pick it up in verse 29. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seeds shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I've underlined very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So in the original creation, man and animals were vegetarians. And we'll see that changes in a, in a couple of chapters. So there's so much to talk about in this. You know, you can talk about um, how good the creation was. You can talk about things like uh, God blessed and said it is very good. God's not mad. He wasn't mad in the creation. Satan wants to come along to convince us that God is angry and he's mad at us. And, and so we don't see that anywhere in the creation. God is blessing man. We see the power of God's word. God spoke. He says, let there be light. He didn't need a son. He just spoke and let there be light. And that's, that's all he had to do. We see the sufficiency of God's word. It wasn't that God had to speak and get help from something else. It was just God's word was sufficient. It was all sufficient. So we, we see that. There's so much more. But I want to come back to verse 27. And it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
because you and I are unique in the creation, there is so much that we can learn about God by just looking at ourselves because we are created in his image. And there's some things that he's placed in us that's not in any other or any other part of the creation. I, I remember, we've done this for all of our kids, but one of our kids, I, I distinctly remember that when Cheryl was pregnant with Daniel, uh, we, we had his room and we wanted to make sure everything was just perfect. So we painted the room and we did the whole room in Noah's Ark, that sort of thing. And we had the, the bassinet there and then we had the rocking chair and then we had the changing table. You, you parents have done this, right? So we did all of this and all the colors were there. We had all the onesies, like 5,000 of them. And, <laughs> and, and so we, we did all of that. Now, so, so why did we do that? Well, because we are created in the image of God, there was something in us that wanted to prepare it all before he got here so that when he stepped in, everything would be just right. So you notice in the creation, God created it all. He prepared it all so that when man got here, it would be just right. The reason that you want to prepare for your children is because you are created in the image of God. Does that make sense? Yes. So how many of you love to see your kids win? You get excited when your kids win, okay? Do, do you know why you do that? Because you are created in the image of God. Pigs couldn't care less if their piglets win or don't win. It's not even part of their thinking. So, but you're created in the image of God, so there's this thing inside of you. You, you love to see your kids win. You love to see them excel. So how many of you, you look at your children and you say, I want my kids to do well. I want them to have good relationships. I, I want them to do well financially. I want them to be able to pay their bills. I want, I want them to flourish in life. How many of you feel that way about your kids? Well, why? I mean, why do you do that? I mean, well, here's why. Because you are unique in the creation. You're created in the image of God. You've heard me say we ordered these dogs, Sheepadoodles, and uh, they arrived, and not one time did Mama Sheepadoodle ever call to see how they're doing. They don't care. Their, their work here is done. But you care about that because you are created in the image of God. That's what God wants for you. And the reason you care is because you're created in the image of God. So how many of you would ever, would ever, being created in the image of God. Would you ever say something like, I have a several kids, but um, this kid here, I'm gonna bless this kid and I'm gonna send them to college, I'm gonna provide all that they need and as they have all that they need, they're gonna go out, they're gonna excel, they're gonna do great things, but I've got several kids and here's my plan for this kid, my desire, my will for this child is I want this child, this is gonna be so great, I want this child to be sick, I want them to have a terrible debilitating disease so that they can never go out and live life to the fullest. They can never go out and experience all that life has to offer. But in this, because they can't do this, this is gonna be so great, they're gonna be totally dependent on me. And as they have this debilitating situation in their life, they're gonna be totally dependent on me. And that's how they're gonna see how much I love them. I'm actually blessing them with this horrible disease. Would you as a parent created in the image of God, would you ever want that for your child? Why? Because you're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. 
Now, do bad things happen in this fallen world? Absolutely. Absolutely they do. But is it your desire for them to happen that way? But how many people look on at somebody and they say, but this is God's plan for you. No, it's not. There's much that you can learn about God by looking at ourselves, which is why. If your child had something that was debilitating, um, parents, wouldn't you agree that you hurt as much as the child? Because inside you feel like this isn't right. And so you do everything you can. You get them to every specialist you could possibly get them to to fix it. Where do you get that from? Well, you get that because you are created in the image of God. So this week, as you think about you, you think about God, and you remember that you are created in the image of God, you can learn much about God by looking at yourself because there's some things that God placed in you that is unique in the creation that's not in any other part of the creation because they're not created in the image of God. Does that make sense? And with that, we'll be talking about that next week as uh, we pick it up here. Did you find that interesting today? Good, good. Let's close in prayer and uh, let's pray. Father, as we close today, Lord, we want to know you for who you are. And uh, we see in the creation that you were blessing, and that reveals who you are. And uh, you set creation up a certain way as a design. And, And Father, we pray that as we go forward and we think about these things, that maybe, Lord, we could come to know you in a maybe a deeper or clearer way as we consider who you really are and what you really have for us. And I want to encourage everyone here today that uh, if you think that God is mad at you or you think that he's against you or is out to ruin your life, just know that you would never do that to your child. You do everything for your child that you could possibly do. God wants to do that for you. The difference is that you have to invite him in. And the way that you do that is you say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you, the Jesus of the Bible, step into my life. And as we go forward, teach me, grow me, help me to understand you for who you are. Regardless of what's happening in my life or the world around me, I wanna know you. And uh, the Bible calls that being born again as you invite him in. And if you do that today, just say, Jesus, come in. Then you're born again and he'll begin his work in you.